Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Today we begin a new study, and I want you to join me, if you will, please, uh, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning in the first verse of John 15. And while you're turning in here, I welcome the rest of our church family and the Family Life Center and those who are part of our extended family online to find your way to John 15 and hear for the Word of God. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I abide in them, they bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a a branch and, and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that, that you bear much fruit and become as my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you And your joy may be complete. The reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted. When I first met my wife, Laura, the very first thing I noticed about her was her hair. My wife has the best hair It's just radiant. It's got a color. Now, listen, since those days, my hair has changed a little bit. It's it's become a little little lighter, but she she has still the most beautiful head of hair. It's beautiful to look at. It's soft to touch. It smells like flowers. It's just, it's beautiful. Really, I'm laying this on really thick, just, right? But it's beautiful, unless a clump of it is in the shower stall at the drain. Yeah, so you didn't see that coming. But, and I may need a place to sleep tonight, so. But there's something different about hair when it's not connected to the head. I mean, something that can be so beautiful 
to the sight, so soft to the touch, so pleasant to the, to the smell. It just changes things when you're just trying to get it off your foot. When you're like, ah, oh, God, what's, ugh. Just, you just want to splash water. You don't want to touch it anymore. Or at your, you're at the restaurant and, you, and you, you, you find some, come on now. You feeling me? Yes. There's something that you know, your groan comes from the reality that you know that there are some things that are beautiful when they're attached to the thing they're supposed to be attached to, but when they're not attached, they are no longer beautiful. Right. I had a colleague once who was talking about uh, seeing some middle schoolers one day. These middle schoolers were in a contest outside and they were lined up, these boys, and they were, it was a spitting contest. And they were trying to see how high they could spit, but that was only half of the equation. The second half is you had to catch when it came back down. Yeah, you see what I'm talking about. Because you know there's something innate in you. You recognize that you're fine with saliva in your mouth. Everybody lo- it helps you speak, helps you swallow, helps you keep your, your, your gums nice and clean. But when, it, when it's detached from where it belongs, when it's disconnected from where it goes, it changes things. And I just want you to hear somebody say this today. You were created to connect with God and one another. You were made to connect in intimate ways with the God who loves you and made you and knows you better than anyone else. You were meant to be connected to God and also to one another. And whenever we are separated from, disconnected from, removed in any way, at any level from either of those, either God or the community of faith, something just doesn't ah, look right, sound right, smell right, taste right. Something doesn't feel right. And I just, I just want to talk about that for a little bit today. I want to talk about what it means to be connected. But I want to do that by talking about a few things. I want us to talk about Kroger florists, plastic Legos, and the most powerful two words in the alphabet. The two most powerful words in the alphabet. The Kroger florist, plastic Legos, and the two most powerful letters in the alphabet. First, Kroger florist. So I noticed some beautiful flowers that have been placed here uh, today in celebration of a marriage, and they're gorgeous, and I wanted to get some flowers of my own. So last night I went to Kroger, and I went after the person who works in the florist department the, 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 that had left, so I had to help myself. And I put together a couple of arrangements together, and I am no Glenn Crossweight, but I, this is not bad. Glenn's got a green thumb. He can do things that, this is not bad. Would you say this is, this is pretty nice, wouldn't you say? Come on, this is a good looking, yeah. I think that's rather nice. Even smells great too. Here's the thing. Um, so while Laura has never really been much of a flower girl, every time I show up with flowers randomly from time to time, it brightens the room. It brings a smile to her face. And I just want you to know these are for her today because of that last sermon illustration. But the bigger point is this. This is a beautiful bouquet of flowers. 
It's beautiful in every possible way. It's, it's got an array of different colors, different fragrances, different heights, different dimensions. But there is a hidden truth that lies just beneath the surface. As beautiful as the bouquet is, the hidden truth is it's dead. They're, they're all dead, or they're going to be dead soon. They are dying. The hidden truth is you can arrange a bouquet to look so beautiful and while at the same time be dying inside. And I just want to make the suggestion today as we worship together that this may be how you and I have become accustomed to arranging our lives. We decorate our lives in such a way that they look beautiful on the outside. We're connected with all the right people. We take all the right vacations. We accumulate all the right stuff. And from the outside, the bouquet of our lives can look gorgeous. It looks beautiful. And all the while, you know a hidden secret that you can at the same time feel like you're dying inside. Because somewhere along the way, maybe you have disconnected from the source that you were meant to connect with, these flowers have been cut at the stem and removed, separated from their source of life. And if we at any degree begin to separate ourselves from our source of life, we can look good for a while and be dying inside. The passage we read a moment ago, did you catch the immense goodness of that word? Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them, you bear much fruit because apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. Jesus says, look, if you abide in me, the word there in Greek means to, to stay, to remain, to stay put or remain connected. If you remain connected with me, I will be for you like a vine is to branches. And I will supply everything you need on the interior for an interior joy like you've never known. And the fruit that will come from your life, it will be beautiful, but it won't be a a beauty that you have arranged. In fact, as much as you want to try, you can't create fruit. Fruit comes as a byproduct of an interior abiding with the vine. See, there's a downside to this. That's the, the immense good news, by the way. Your life can be filled with a a kind of interior stability, a stability of heart, a contentment, a joy. Even if you're going through trouble, through pain, even if you're going through a difficult time, you can still experience a level of um, satisfaction, balance. Well, the Bible uses some words too. The Bible says, you know, fruit, the fruit that grows from that interior abiding from the vine, well, that fruit is, well, it's love, Joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all of those fruits can grow if you abide in the vine. But there's a downside to the text we just read a moment ago. It continues on. It says, whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers Such branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. Now, when I was younger, I read that text very differently. It used to be filled with a great sense of fear. Oh, my gosh, if I don't produce fruit, then somehow I will be thrown into the fire. But the truth is, I want you to hear this very clearly. I need you to dial in on this one. That verse is, is descriptive and not prescriptive. 
It doesn't prescribe what happens if you don't produce fruit. You're not going to be thrown in the fire because you don't produce fruit. It describes what it's like to not abide in the vine. That life becomes fruitless. And the only thing that's good after that is, well, firewood. I went out to my yard uh, late last night and found this. I just think that's a cool-looking branch. It's drying out, you know, because it had been raining. But the beauty of this branch, despite its dimensions and asymmetrical kind of shape, I just think that's kind of cool, is that no matter how hard the branch tries at this point, this branch will not produce fruit. This branch will not produce leaves, foliage of any sort. Even if you and I surrounded it and tried and we prayed it up, we tried to make sure that, that it would grow, we could try as hard as we might, and this thing would not produce fruit because it is dead. It has been disconnected in such a way. And I just I wonder if I hold this up long enough and just ask you to look at it through worshipful eyes. I wonder, is there anybody on campus, anybody tuning in, for whom this is what your life feels like? You look at everybody else's and you see the color. You don't know the hidden secret of their interior dying, but, but you see the color. But you look at your own life and all you see is the thing that is not there. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that you can abide in such a way that fruit continues to come. Here's the beauty of this text. It doesn't say... If you try hard enough, well, then you'll have fruit. That's, that's something that an unabiding world says. That's, that's arranging the bouquet of your life. We all do that, and it's embarrassing, but we do. We arrange the bouquet of our life to somehow look fruitful when we realize that it's not. But can I ask you a, a question? Where, what are you doing to make sure that you are abiding in the vine. Because abiding in the vine is not about arranging your life so that it looks right. It's about uh, quiet mornings of silence. It's about pulling away in the middle of the day for three minutes for prayer. It's about reading the text of our sacred word for your own growth. It's about spending time with those who are underprivileged and performing acts of mercy and compassion because when we do, we recognize the poor are sacramental. When we're among them and serving those less fortunate, we recognize we're in the company of one greater than all of us. That's what, that's what it means to abide in the vine. What are you doing daily? Are you coming to church routinely? Are you a part of a small group? Are you in Sunday school? But the, because the truth the truth is you and I are meant to abide with one another. You know, there's something interesting about this text. I want to show you a picture here. Just take a picture. I'll look at the picture. This is the same picture that I use in our 4D class, our um, orientation class for newcomers. It's a picture of a vineyard, and the branches are there all intertwined with each other, but I use it to say to our newcomers who are being introduced to Johns Creek, at Johns Creek, this it's what our lives are intended to look like. This is what Jesus says, that our lives are meant to be shared. In fact, you can look at the branches there and the vine moving right through, and, and you, you can't tell where one branch begins and the other one ends because the branches are inextricably bound to one another. What are you doing to make sure that your life is bound, not only connected to the vine, 
but bound with the other branches in our common pursuit of that vine. And you say to me, well, but you know, I don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. I mean, I don't have to be. Well, you know, I've got a word for that. It's a Greek word. It's uh, baloney. <laughs> sure, you don't have to. But you know what G.K. Chesterton said? G.K. Chesterton said, uh, a person can no more have a private religion than a private or personal sun or moon. Isn't that interesting? You're not meant to do this thing alone, right? Which leads us to the second movement of our sermon. Not only Kroger florists, but plastic Legos. Now, last week I shared in our State of the Church address some startling statistics about what it means to gather together and how nowadays, nationally speaking, people are going to church less frequently. It's something that has caused a great sense of consternation among church leadership, trying to figure out why is this shift of behavior so common nationwide. It occurs to us that the common average attendance has now shifted to about one, uh, one time every four to six weeks nationally to show up to church. Now, on the, on the surface, if someone's coming to church and abiding with the other branches once every four to six weeks, the first instinct for any of us who do come on a regular basis is to judge it as a lack of commitment. And on the one hand, that's absolutely true. On the one hand, it is necessary from time to time to stand and look at each other and say, get your rear end to church. Right? Somebody amen me. I don't know. Yeah. But do you know the longer your pastors serve you and love you and pray for you every week, the more we're learning some things about our behaviors. There are many people, almost like our conversation a moment ago about, about tithing, about giving. There are some for whom it's not a lack of commitment, but rather it's an overcommitment to about a thousand unnecessary things. So we're looking out and recognizing that we have not just people who are uncommitted to the church of Jesus Christ, but those who are overcommitted to about a thousand things that are in competition with the church that pale in worthiness. That brings us to Legos. Can I, I brought you a couple of Legos here. Just to see if I can demonstrate what I'm talking about. They slipped further down than I thought they were. There they are. So Legos were big for a long time in my family. The kids are a little bit older now, and so we don't do a lot of Legos much anymore, which is a source of great grief that I'll get over soon. However, take a look at this Lego, if you can get a tight shot of this. The truth about Legos is that every Lego, whether it's shaped this way or in any other variety of ways, it only has, on this one at least, four connectors, four connecting spots on this Lego. And no matter what I try to do, it doesn't have a limitless number of connecting points on the Lego. Now, what I could do is I could attach, oh, let's attach this one piece here to, let's say, take up two. Yeah. Now, the original Lego only has two remaining connectors, because two of them are taken up. I can keep on connecting and make all kinds of fun things. I'm not that creative, so this is about as good as it gets. Watch this, boom. Look at there, I've made a, whatever that is. 
And now all of the connecting points are taken up. The truth of the matter is you and I were not created with an infinite number of connectors in this life. Now we have jobs, then we have family, and then we have uh, baseball, and then rehearsals and practice, and then we have the in-laws are coming in town, and we gotta take the trip, and don't forget the extra meeting that we have scheduled, and by the end of your week, you're out of connectors. And it might be that the solution to co-abiding in the vine with one another is not simply just muster the, the, the commitment, but rather free yourself from the thing that's keeping you from the commitment. There may be somebody here today who needs to do the radical act of removing whatever connector is keeping you from creating space in your life for your church. What is it that must be removed in your life in order to reconnect or connect with Christ more fully and to Christ's church? It may take some ruthlessly eliminating of some commitments that you already have in order to make space for the one connection that matters most eternally. Uh, not long ago, I was with the boys and they were showing me a, a video on their phone. We were trying to look at it and, and I had my phone in my hand and they were showing me this video. I don't even remember what it was because every like three seconds, and I'm not kidding, every three seconds, Either my phone or their phone would buzz with a notification. And you know, the notifications come up from the top and you can swipe them away. But we're trying to watch this video of this thing they're showing me, and there's, you know, bzz, have to wipe it away. Bzz, wipe it away. Bzz, wipe it away. And it's my turn. Bzz, wipe it away. Bzz. And it spawned a very important conversation that I think we need to have more frequently when it comes to church attendance and commitment to abiding in the vine together. It's this. You cannot be fully present with anyone while trying to be halfway present with everyone. Can I say it again? You cannot be fully present with anyone while trying to be partially present with everyone. What is it that must be extracted from your life in order to create the space to connect with the one who loves you most and with those who are created in his image as we make this journey together. Yeah. So I'm thinking about Legos a little bit. The reason I'm thinking about it is because, uh, well, we've got a family in our church who I think is like the, the Lego heroes of the world. Can I introduce you to two friends of mine? I want you, I want you to meet um, uh, Ryan and Tyler Lawing. Boys, come on up here on stage with me, will you? And their dad, there you go, their dad is coming to help us out with something. We're going to make some space here, guys. And I'm going to pull this table right over here in the middle. Hang on. So everybody can see. Yep. And these guys are experts at Legos. I want you to look what they made. So this is, this is Ryan and this is Tyler. Everybody welcome Ryan and Tyler. All right. I've been thinking about Legos, and I was kind of grieving, guys. I was sad because we don't make a whole lot of Legos in my house anymore, but I know you guys do. And so I reached out to your dad. I said, hey, do you guys do Legos? And he just laughed at me on the phone because, man, y'all really do Legos, don't you? Right? Can you tell us something about this one here? What, what's this one called? The 
Joker House. The Joker House, okay. Um, who made this one? Which one? Did you both work on it or what? No. No? Who, who made this Joker House? Who spent most work on this one? Tyler. He did? Okay. All right, Tyler, show me something. Show me what you think is the coolest part of this. What, what do you love about this one? Can you explain it to me a little bit? Yeah, show me what that does. Oh, that's the Joker. Okay. And you got a special place for the Joker? Get his hair right. There you go. He walks in the top there. You can't see it on the backside, but here's what's going to happen. Watch. Oh, trap door. Joker disappeared. Everyone needs a Joker trap door in their house. Hey, how long did it take you to make this? Five days. Five days? How did you, so how did you do it in five, you didn't sleep or eat or go to school, you just stayed up and there, your dad was bringing you coffee and you're like, oh, I gotta make it, I'm not finished, nothing. How did, how did you do it? How do you make something this amazing? I don't know. Yeah? So you were telling me something about the bags, right? Tell me how the bags work. Because when you get this box, does it come with just like a thousand pieces all loose or what's it come like? How's it come? There's a number on bags, and like we do different parts at one time and stuff. Okay, so this comes like a bunch of different bags, and you do this little part first. You put all that together, and you just kind of you set that aside, right? Then you work on another bag, right? And then you set it aside. And when all the bags have been finished, then what do you do? You attach them all together. Yeah, and attach them all together, and then voila, there you go. It's gorgeous. Do you know, this is not the only one that these guys have done. Can I show you a couple of pictures of these amazing things they've put together with Legos? Take a look. There's the Millennium Falcon. I noticed a big theme, some Star Wars theme here. All kinds of amazing things. Keep them moving. Uh, some kind of robot guy there. Yeah, this looks like a London Bridge or something or Tower Bridge. Look at there. Some more. This is one of my favorite. That's just gorgeous. Uh, I love this one. What? Aren't you proud of that? Wasn't it amazing that you, you step back and look at that? Yeah, give him a big hand. Yeah. All right. So because you guys are clearly, clearly Lego experts, I want to ask you for your help, okay? So what I want you to do is step up here in front with me so everybody can see you, okay? Let's get my, my stick over here and stand right up here. Now, you have clearly proven yourself to be experts at this thing, right? So I just want to know if maybe... Um, you can make me something. Um, here is a Lego, okay? And on the count of three, without using your stuff back here, don't use your stuff that you brought here, on the count of three, all right? Uh, Ryan and Tyler, I want you to make something amazing. One, two, three, go! What? <laughs> you did it? Oh, is that... Okay, I'll give you one more chance, and I'll, I'll talk to them, and I'll kind of distract them while you're making it. So on the count of three, one, two, three, make it. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> what? You did it? Let me see. Put it in my hand. Let me look at it. It was really hard. It was really hard? Well, dude, I have to tell you, that's not very amazing. That's not very amazing. I mean, I'm no insult because this is, but that's not. What's the deal? Why couldn't you make something as amazing as the thing behind us? Huh? It was just one piece. Because it's just one piece. What do you need to put this together? About 10. About 10. All right. 
Would you all give these guys an amazing hand, a round of applause? Thank you. All right, have a seat. Thank you very much, guys. About 10. Now, that's a deal, about 10. You know why? Because I heard somebody say one time, where two or three come together in my name, I am there. Beloved, you were not meant to do life alone. You were meant to connect with the Lord who loves you and with others so that in this journey there is something possible in us that is not possible when we are alone. This is how Jesus put it. He said, greater things than all the things that I've done, greater things than these, you all will do. And I'm like, how are we going to do greater things than Jesus? How are we going to do greater than multiplying fish and loaves? I mean, how are we going to feed people greater than Jesus? How are we going to... uh, Turn water to wine like Jesus. How are we going to do greater things than turning water to wine and bringing people joy who are lacking joy? How are we going to do that? How are we going to bring sight to those who cannot see right? How can we do greater things than he? And then it occurs to me, with the help of our two young theologians here, that it takes more than just one. That when we are together, we are We are capable of being and doing more than we could possibly imagine. Which leads us to the last movement of the sermon. The two most powerful letters in all the alphabet. Do you know what they are? I, F, if, 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 uh, if my people who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The power of if. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, well, then you will be for me a treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Have you stopped long enough to consider the power of if in your own spiritual journey? If you were as connected with your Lord and with your church as what we've been talking about, can you imagine the incredible force of good that we could be in this world together? Can you imagine with me for just a moment? Paul says in this 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he talks about this. He says, look, indeed, the whole body does not consist of one. I mean, mean, Ryan told us that a minute ago. You need more than one, not, not one, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, well, it, it wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, that would not, not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God as it is, has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now, in that passage, he's trying to make sure in a context 
where there had been some social distinctions and division and separateness. Some began to think of themselves as better than others. And all these class distinctions had divided people. I know that that sounds like a foreign concept to you and me because we don't know anything about living during divided times, do we? But Paul seemed to believe that during divided times, the rescuing agent is the body of Christ. And why? Because we are a unified body with diverse members. Paul doesn't say, hey, look, it doesn't matter if you're a foot or a hand. We just want everybody. Be, be a hand, be a foot. It doesn't matter if you're a foot. No, he's saying it does matter because the body needs feet and the body needs hands. And you may be a nose or an eye, but there is a distinct way for you to be a follower that no one else can be. And when you're not here, the body suffers. So when we gather with one another, we have the potential. Here's the power of if. We have the potential to demonstrate in a hurting and divided world what it looks like to be unified, what it looks like to actually be a whole body. What if the whole body were actually a whole body? And every foot showed up and every hand showed up and every eye and nose and ear came to do its part. What I love about this passage is that it provokes something in me. From time to time, we say things in the church like, well, we just want everybody and, you know, the same. We don't, there's no distinctions. And even Paul says, yeah, in Christ, there's no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no slave or free. But we often sometimes think that that means when we come to Christ, we all become like this one kind of homogenous kind of human. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Every person who comes to Christ is transformed, and now there is a Christian who is still Jewish, a, a Christian who is Greek, a, a Christian who is male, a Christian who is female. Sometimes I'll have people say to me, I just, I, I just I want the church to be colorblind. I, just, I don't see color. I just don't see color with people. Well, bull butter. Not only, do you, not only is it not true, I don't want to not see color. I want to see every shade and hue of melanin that God has created so that I can marvel at a God who can create all kinds of human beings who are black and brown and white and everything in between. I don't want a church that is one political party. I want this church to be filled with every kind of political persuasion. I want Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and Independents and, and folks who are sick of all of it. Because when we are unified amid our extraordinary diversity, we get to walk out of these, these doors and show the world what it looks like to live whole. What if the whole body were really the whole body? And, and I was able to say, hey, this is my brother, and we come from different cultures, but we are unified in Christ. Isn't that awesome? And I can say, this is my sister, She's more conservative than me. This is my brother. He's more liberal than me. But in Christ, we are showing the world how to live together in love. In love. What if the whole body were the whole body? We would wreck the world with redemptive love. But none of it's possible if we don't ruthlessly extract some commitments that are keeping us from the one most important commitment, to connect with Christ and his bride, the church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Good and loving God, we do yield to your way, to the power of your spirit moving in us right now. We sense it. We do. We sense your presence among us. And we recognize that we have been failures at carrying the level of love that you have commanded us to carry and we confess it and ask your forgiveness. We have so participated in the division of this fragmented world that no one outside these doors at times will see that we're a part of something even more spectacular. One unified body of believers. Help us this day to know what it means to truly connect with you, our vine. Show us this day what it looks like and feels like to abide with one another as brothers and sisters, as co-laborers branching together your love into this world. Show us what it means today to be so in tune with the rhythm of your heart that we leave here and the world says there is something different about that church. For we pray these things in your holy and gracious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.